0: Uh, today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 6. We'll be in several different places, but Luke 6 is one of the primary places. Primary places will be today. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. Really glad that you're here today. As I mentioned, we're in week five of a series called 12 Followers. We're studying uh, a little bit about the lives and kind of get a survey of the lives of these 12 men that Jesus chose to begin to change the world with. And really, what, what this is all about, is really a study of who they were, what their personalities are, what, what their personalities were, and, and what their experiences were, and, and why God chose them. Why did God choose these guys? Because it wasn't a very pretty picture, often, of humanity. When you look at their lives, and you look at their experience, and you look at their background, and you look at their personalities, in some ways it was really incredibly messy. And today we're coming to three disciples, and at least two of them are often confused with other people in the Bible. One is James. We'll take a look at what we're going to go today. James the less, not James the brother of Jesus. We'll come back to that in a minute. Simon the zealot, and then Judas. Do you realize there was another Judas at the table? There were two Judases at the table. It's hard to even believe that. And so today we're going to be taking a look at these three different disciples. Now, I I just want to point out that um, a lot of what I've based uh, has really been based on John MacArthur's book. This is from years and years ago, but it's a fantastic book called 12 Ordinary Men, and uh, we haven't gone in order. I had someone totally confused today because they're like, you didn't go in order, and I'm sorry. If like, if that's your personality, I'm really sorry about that. We haven't gone in order on, uh, on purpose, all right? So I promise you that. But you can pick up one of these books. Uh, we've got about a dozen or so left back at guest services. Uh, they're $10, and you can pick one up uh, today if you'd like to. Let's talk about these three disciples. First and foremost is James the Less. Now, there are three Jameses mentioned that we know of in the New Testament. Uh, we, we've got James, the brother of Jesus, who you just heard Michael Jr. talk about. We've got James, the brother of John. James and John, who were very close to Peter and Andrew. We kicked off this series talking about Peter and Andrew, and these men were from uh, Galilee. They were fishermen. Next week, we're going to finish off this series, uh, and we're going to be focused on James and John, and um, I can't wait. Please don't miss next week. Uh, Maurice, I- I've asked Maurice to speak, and Maurice is our actual guy that is from Kenya. He, he's um, originally from Kenya, and um, he lives there in Nairobi, and he's the one that is like boots on the ground with No Hungry Children, uh, our, our organization that we're a part of. And uh, he was here about four years ago, back, back in the States about four years ago, and he gave a quick little testimony. This year, I've asked him to preach Please don't miss it and hang on for the ride. It's going to be awesome. So anyway, I can't wait. Talk to him uh, the other day, and he's very excited about being with us next week. Uh, he'll close it out by talking a little bit about James and John. So we've got these three different Jameses, the brother of Jesus, the brother of John, and James the less. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. The James we're talking about today is one of three, and not only is he, like, not the brother of Jesus, but he's known as james the less i think that is like even worse in some ways right like he's known as less how would you like to be listed among the 12 people that jesus pulled together to change the world and like they have all these names and some of them have nicknames you've got doubting thomas and judas iscariot the traitor and you've got you know these different names and you're known as james the less that's got to be pretty humbling and embarrassing but truly we don't know much about this man named James. He's different than the other, uh, the other Jameses that we read in the Bible. He's not James, the brother of Jesus. That James is not listed among the 12. He was not one of the 12 original disciples of Jesus, but he became, later on, it'd be a great study. We might do that sometime. He became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He wrote the book of James, but, of course, he's not one of the disciples. James, the brother of John, you'll hear about him next week. He's the son of Zebedee. He is prominent among the disciples, and and he was one of the closest people to Jesus. You see, even among the 12, Jesus had a, a, a few that he knew better than the others, and among them were Peter and Andrew and James and John. Those were the four that Jesus knew the best. They were the ones that were in his inner circle. And so we're not talking about that James. We're talking about James the less. Well, where do we get that from? Where in the world do we get James the Lesser? Or maybe you have heard it said he's James the Lesser. Well, let's look at Luke 6, 14 through 16. And this passage is going to introduce us to these three little more unknown disciples. And James the Less being one of them. Check it out, Luke 6, 14 through 16. Simon, here we go, Simon who he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus. That's the person we're talking about here. And Simon, who was called the zealot. And verse 16, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, it says here the son of Alphaeus, but we read in Mark 15, verse 40, that he was introduced there as James the less. The word there, the less, that can be translated in several different possible ways and in several different meanings. And it could mean that he was the younger brother. In fact, we know that there's a possibility that he was the younger brother of Matthew because the Bible lists the same name of the father. Now, we don't explicitly know that, but he was very possibly the younger brother, and that could be why he was called the less. He also could be called the less because even at that time, James, the brother, you know, the brother of Jesus, maybe was more prominent because he was the brother of Jesus. And James, the other James, was closer to Jesus. And so it could mean that he's less in terms of status or prominence. It also could mean that the dude was short. And I like to believe... That's what it is, all right? So I think he was just James the short guy, all right? So I'm uh, my driver's license lists me at 5'7". I'm probably more like 5'6", but that's okay. That's what my driver's license says. Somebody put that on there. I'm fine with it, all right? So anyway, but um, and, and I had someone, uh, one of our students once, they, for, they saw me like off this stage and I was back in backstage and they were like, dude, you're short. And I'm like, cool, I'm glad we've tricked you all these years, that's great, I like that. So. So he was either the younger brother, he was either small in status, or he was just small in stature. But any one of those three possibilities, I think, in his life, and he's only mentioned four times in Scripture, and there's no more detail about him from Scripture that we know, but any way you slice it in any of those three scenarios or in all of them, The idea of him being less was a little bit like uh, of of a cutting way to describe him. In my mind. And, And I wonder if in his life, like that's what the world always said. Think about it. If he was short and if he was much shorter and if he was small in stature, he might have gotten made fun of. As a kid, it happened to me. If he was the younger brother of Matthew, who was largely prominent in God's word, he might have kind of been poked at that he was just in the shadows of his older brother. And certainly, if he wasn't as prominent, which he wasn't as the other Jameses or as the other disciples, there might have been this idea that he was small, and it would have been something that probably would have cut him. And i, I got to tell you, church, um, those types of things, if we, and when we hear them enough, if we think in our minds that we are two, T-O-O, fill in the blank, whatever it is, small, short, maybe not very popular, maybe not the right status, those things, if we hear them enough, we begin to start believing that they are true. And I want you to hear from this really unknown disciple, this one that we we don't know much about, that God doesn't view you as small. He doesn't view you as small in stature or status. He doesn't view you as small in terms of experience. God views you in a different way than maybe you've heard all your life. Maybe you've heard all of your life that you're too something to be used by God. That's what the world often tells us, doesn't it? And sometimes whether we're small or not, we may feel like we're small. And I want you to hear today that we can learn from this disciple that every person's gift, every person's role is critical in the spread of the gospel message. You see, we have this idea and we have this belief, and it comes from our society and it comes from culture and it comes from conventional wisdom that only the powerful, only the strong, only those who are are, are, are strong and powerful and, and maybe even popular, are destined for greatness, but I want you to hear that God uses those who are small in stature or status to do great things for Him. And if any of you have walked in this place believing anything different, my challenge to you this morning is to begin to question that belief and believe in the one who chose someone who was one of those three things as being one of the closest people to him. That's important. That's important. Regardless of how you view yourself, regardless of what you've chosen to believe, regardless of what voices you've heard, God can use you. Secondly, we come to Simon the Zealot. Another name that's very prominent in, in the Bible, um, let's take a look at where he's listed. He's listed at least three times in Luke 6.15, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus. We just read this, and Simon, who is called the what? Simon, who was called the what? Zealot. Okay, very good. I just want to make sure you guys are still awake. All right, so Matthew 10. Uh, Matthew 10, 4 says Simon the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who, who betrayed him. So we have, once again, Simon the zealot. And, and in some versions, it's listed as uh, Canaanian. Now, that's not somebody from Canaan or Cana. That's, that's a term that refers to someone who was zealous. And so the Bible refers to him as a zealot with a capital Z, but, he, but it also refers to him as someone who had great zeal. Now, the word zealot with a capital Z, oh, by the way, he's also mentioned in Mark 3.18, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon, once again, the Canaanite. Now, um, the word zealot is, is a word that describes A political party. So this man by the name of Simon was a zealot. He was a member of a leading political party in that day and age. He he was also a Canaanite or Cana, which means to be zealous, okay? But the political parties of Jesus's day were an important part of what was going on in the culture. There were Pharisees, there were Sadducees, there were Essians, and then there were zealots. Pharisees, which if you know anything about the Bible, you read a lot about Pharisees. They were one of the ruling religious-slash-political leaders of of that day and age, and uh, they were defined by a strict adherence to the law, uh, by by religious fundamentals, Um, but they were also willing to compromise for political reasons. If it got their way, they would often compromise. Sadducees were religious liberals. They, they, they were ones who denied the supernatural. They were often rich. Um, they, were, they were part of the aristocracy and they were powerful. Essians, this third group, were, they were aesthetics, they were celibate, they lived in the desert. They had a strict devotion to studying the law. Like these were the ones, these were maybe a little bit like the monks, where they would pull themselves away from society and just study the law. Zealots were a whole different thing. This was a very, like, intense political party. They were politically minded, and their whole goal was to overthrow the Roman government. And they were known for one thing, and that's violence. Their political actions were extraordinarily violent, and even uh, some scholars say bordered on, like, terroristic type stuff. This man, listen, listen, I don't want you to miss this. This man, who was a zealot with a capital Z, subscribed to the political party that was known for violence and terrorism. Yet he was in the upper room at the table on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that interesting? That this man who subscribed to this, this fringe group, this fringe political party that had goals and methods that were completely the opposite of what Jesus taught and why Jesus came. This man was one of the 12. And I believe it highlights the fact that at some point in time, his passions changed. And if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, whether it was yesterday or 10 years ago or 10 decades ago. Hopefully it's not 10, 10 decades ago. All right, we might have other issues. But if it was, like, here's the deal. At some point in time, as a follower of Jesus, your passions probably changed. And if they haven't, maybe you're just a follower in name, but you're not really a follower with your life. Because being a follower of Jesus means that your passions will change. I've known so many people in my life who were just committed to a certain political party or or, or political or social ideal, or they might have been committed to a certain industry or business. And once they became a Christ follower, they realized that had to change. This was Simon, except what we know about zealots is that it was extreme. And so He who once had been an extreme terrorist now was sitting at the table of Passover with the Savior. Isn't that awesome? I want you to know that if you walked in here today and your time before Jesus is pretty ugly, and you've often thought, or maybe someone has said, there's no way with what i've done and who i've been a part of and my past there's no way that i can do anything good for god there is nothing that is further from the truth because simon the zealot was at the table and he was used by the savior you see we think sometimes only those whose past is clean and path is Righteous or ones that can be used by God. But God uses those who have a radical prior passion or passions to do great things for him. He will change your passions. And he will, if you're willing, use you for his good and his glory. And the third one is a man by the name of Judas. Now, if you've been with us for these past few weeks... We had a whole week, we spent a whole week on Judas, who's the Judas that you know of. Because when I say Judas, when I say the name Judas, what do you automatically think of when I say the name Judas? Traitor. Wow, you guys... Like, you totally blitzed the first service, all right? They were just like Iscariot. They gave him his other name. You guys were like, he's a traitor, all right? So, way to go, okay, all right? Just call it what it is, man. It is what it is. Judas was known as as a traitor. And so, here's the problem, though, church, all right? I want to make this really clear. There were two people by the name of Judas who were followers of Jesus. Once again, think about being in the upper room at the Passover feast, like, I'm glad that Jesus took the bread and handed it to Judas Iscariot. Because imagine if he had just said his name. The other Judas would have been like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Not me. Not me, Jesus. Like, you got the wrong guy here. It can't be me. I, I don't have this in me. And I want you to hear that this Judas did not have that in him. He was a complete contrast of Judas Iscariot. Something of the opposite in many ways. From what we know from scripture in fact the the bible lists him as judas not iscariot like that's how he's designated he was known by three different names judas uh uh, labaius and thaddeus and and those different names uh some uh, labaius was like a surname and so judas was probably the name he was given at birth remember if you will that the name judas means jehovah leads And this was a man who, from everything that we can tell, was someone who really followed Jehovah. Thaddeus was probably a bit of a nickname. And back in that day, if your name's Thad, okay, like don't take this the wrong way. But essentially back in that day, um, it meant, and I'm kind of like jumping a little bit here, but it meant mama's boy. Isn't that interesting? But that has a derisive tone as well, doesn't it? There's a great passage that we see with this Judas that shows us, I think, a little bit of who he is, and it's found in John 14. Let's take a look at it this morning as we begin to wrap up this morning. Jesus said this in verse 21 of John 14, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Now, let's go on and look at Jesus' answer. We're going to come back to verse 22. Jesus answered him, and he said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. But I want to go back to Verse 22. Because I think in verse 22, we get a little bit of a glimpse of his personality and who he was as a person. This Judas, the one that's not Iscariot, I think from this verse 22, shows himself to be someone who's concerned about others. Who maybe has a tender heart. Who rather than a mama's boy, was someone who had a deep love for a savior and for people because we see him here tenderly asking, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? He's asking Jesus a clarifying question about the theology of what Jesus is talking about, about the belief of what Jesus is talking about, and Jesus goes on to answer it. But in the question, I think that we see a guy, and this is the only time he's mentioned in Scripture, only time that he, he you know, is, get, is attributed to saying anything in Scripture. I think we see this tenderness, and you think about the name that he was given, that, that nickname that he was given. I think that this was a man who was tender and quiet and meek, but had a deep love for his Savior. And let's be honest: people who are quiet, gentle, tender-hearted, childlike in their faith, childlike in their approach to things are not the ones that we think of, that we think of from culture and from the world that we think of of doing great things. God used this Judas, not Iscariot, in an amazing way. In fact, we know from other um, history that he took the gospel into Turkey. He took the gospel into a different, different place. And so when we think in our minds or when we believe in our hearts that only those who are well-spoken and charismatic and have giant personalities can be used by God, I got to tell you, there's nothing that's further from the truth. Once again, God uses those who are quiet and gentle and tenderhearted to do great things for him. You may have walked in here today and you think, you know, I've been told all my life that I'm just too small. I don't have a big enough name. I don't have a big enough platform to be used for God or for greatness. I want you to know that God uses those who are small in stature and status to do great things for him. And maybe you walked in here today and you have been told and you believe in your mind and in your heart you can't be used because of your past and because of that experience and because of the things you've done and because of the people you've associated with. I want you to know that God uses those who have a, pre- a radical prior passion to do great things for him. And maybe you came in here today and you've always been told that you're too quiet or too tender or too gentle to be used by God in a great way. I want you to know that God uses those who are quiet and tender and gentle to do great things for him. I was never the uh, younger brother. I have a younger sister. Um, I was never the younger brother. I happened to be small in stature. That's cool. I'm good with that. God and I will talk about that in heaven one day, but that's all right. Okay, so (laughs) I don't have a past like Simon did. In fact, I've often looked at people who have this great strong testimony of like this horrible past and how God pulled them away from whatever they were dealing with, and I'm I'm kind of a little bit jealous because I had this kind of vanilla-like Christian home. I've come to realize in talking with those people, they're like, you have a gift. Be glad that you didn't have the experience I had. And I've, I've come to really be thankful that I grew up in a Christian home and that um, you know, my testimony is what it is because it's my testimony. It's what God's done. Um, but but I, don't, I don't really like connect with Simon. But, but I, I personally can connect with Judas, not Iscariot. Because when I was a kid, I was one of these quiet kids, even in in middle school and high school, I kind of hung out in the shadows. I I didn't like the limelight. (laughs) I didn't like to be involved in public speaking. (laughs) And uh, my personality was really introverted. And I remember people close to me saying, yeah, I I know you're called by God, but what are you gonna do? What are you ever gonna do for him? God changes us, he morphs us, he uses what he's already instilled in us, but then he grows that, and he can use us for his glory. Cynthia and I, when, when we were in college, we met in, in our, our, we actually met in our freshman year, but we started dating our sophomore year in college, and um, one night, she, she was a music major, I was pre-law government business, and uh, so we went to her friend's house for a little party after something, I can't remember what it was. And, Um, They were all musicians and artsy people, and I'm a government guy, so I'm going down. I thought I was going to go into into law, and so I was studying pre-law. And so I go to this party, and I didn't know anybody, so I sat in the kitchen in a chair and didn't say a word for an hour and a half to anyone. And uh, we got in the car, and we had our first argument as a couple. It was our last one that we've ever had. (laughs) Not lying in church. Yeah, yeah, I'm lying in church on stage line in church. That was really bad. Anyway, but we, uh, she, she looked at me and she goes, what's wrong? I go, "What, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? What do you, what's wrong for you? You know, she's like, well, you didn't say anything. And I'm like, I, I didn't feel like it. I'm quiet. I'm just quiet. Like, leave me alone. Don't, you know, don't do that. And, and, um, you know, like now we're the opposite. So that's kind of funny. Like that God does that after 25 uh, years or more. So, uh, anyway, but. Here's here's my point, church. We have this idea in our minds of who we are. And sometimes the idea of who we are and our belief in that idea is a limiting factor in what God can do in and through us. And if you're here today, and you walked into this place and you believe that God sent his son Jesus to come to this earth to die for the sins of the world, yours included, and you've accepted him as your savior, then it's a small leap from believing in that to believing that God can use you just how he has made with the exact experience that he's given you, with the exact personality that he's given you. I would hate for you to live your life, regardless of where you are in your stage of life, I would hate for you to live your life with this lid of limitations of of believing and doubting what God can do through you. And for some of you, today is the day to release that doubt, to let go of that belief and to find out where you can be used for him. Because if he can use a guy like James, the lesser, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the guy who wasn't Judas Iscariot, then he can use you in a remarkable way if you will just allow him to. Father, I thank you so much for these three lives of which we don't know too much and we don't have too much information. But from what we can tell, at some point in time, they overcame the limiting factor in their life. They overcame maybe what the world said or what their parents said or what culture says or what their friends say or what they just believe because of the voices in their head. God, they overcame all of that, and in many ways, not only did you use them in spite of their weakness, apparent weakness, apparent poor testimony, apparent whatever, but God, in some ways, you used that in their lives to further your kingdom. And what a great story that is. And God, I pray for everyone who's a Christ follower in this room who walked into this place. God, those who walked in here today and they they have a doubt in their mind, maybe even in their heart, that they are too whatever to be used by you. Nothing can be further from the truth. God, I pray right now that you would help each one of us in this room, because I think to a certain extent, Father God, we all have these limiting factors that we put on ourselves, and we realize that we can't do anything aside from you, but Father, at some point in time, we've got to release these limiting things that we have in our lives, these doubts and these false beliefs, and we've got to lay them at your feet so that you can use us in a mighty and a strong and a powerful way, God. God, I I pray that you would help each one of us in this room to just begin to let go and to give you all of us, even those things that we might be just a little bit ashamed of or afraid of or we think it disqualifies us. God, help us when we feel like we're just one in the crowd to realize that you can use use us in a remarkable way for you and for your kingdom. I pray this all in Jesus' name.